So I do have a video of them dumping all of that gum into a pit, and it's absolutely disgusting. So they're having a good time down there, and so I figure that while all of them are down there, I think we'd be able to fit in here, and we'll be able to have a cozy time. The thing is, you guys all want to sit in the back, so everyone that's going to show play is going to walk up all the way to the front and be in right in front here, or Logan's just going to hang out right there. But also, if if we do need more chairs, someone please just go around and grab some. But we also, we've got plenty. I think there's room. I think we can fit. We can sit with people that we don't know, and I think we'll all survive and have a good time. Right? Awesome. Well, again, they're all down there. And another announcement that I have for you is something to put on your radar very early, and that is that it's official, the Mexico trip is happening March 11th through March 19th. So we're excited that it's going to be on March 11th and it's going to align with the School of Mines spring break because last year it did not. Um, so like Emily and some of the students who went on the retreat actually had to like take tests early, um, they had to turn in assignments early, they had to do all these different things and sacrifice down to Mission Mexico, and this year, because we were about the only ones from the Rocky Mountain District to go, we get to have it on our. It's great. And so the Montana and Wyoming gang, they're going to have to figure it out. 
Um, and we'll get them off the side this year. But March 11th through March 19th, we're going down to Chihuahua, Mexico. And so start planning now, ask for the time off, uh, don't make any other spring break plans so that you can join us down there as we work with Pastor Tomas and the local Alliance Pastors down in Chihuahua. We'll again be putting on a pastor's retreat. So about 40, 50 local pastors from the area will come to one church where we put on a retreat for them, um, speak, we teach, uh, we run a kids program that last year we had over 100 kids show up to. Um, so it's a ton of fun. There was one of the pastors from Montana who was with us. We just played soccer with kids for like the entire afternoon. And the little field where he played soccer was probably like a third of the size of this room. And he ended up running like 11 miles um, at the end of the day, just playing soccer with those kids. And so I highly encourage you um, to join us on Mission Mexico this year, March 11th through 19th. Um, the next thing is, speaking of Palata, where Paul Retreat currently is, is one of the ways that we actually didn't have to pay for our time down at Palata, and we didn't have to rent it, is that we do a lot of work down there. Um, we have paid our dues um, by working at camp, by completing a lot of different projects down there, and doing what we can to make this camp possible. And so we're going to be doing that again October 29th, that's Saturday, where we're going to go down and complete a few projects there. So there's always a lot to do. One, there are always trees cut down. So if you're in that sort of thing, right, there's a little forest that you can have. Just name it, it's yours. Um, but there's also a big shed carport that we're completing. There are a lot of indoor work with some trim work, some sanding, um, some little touch-up painting, um, some holes that got put in the wall after weeks of camp. And so there's going to be plenty of projects. So join us October 29th. That's a Saturday. You can meet here at the church at 8 a.m. at Carpool, or you can just meet us down there at 9 at Kimball Laws. It's about an hour away outside Fox Springs. Sound good? Okay, everyone's got food in their mouth. This is great. You guys are going to be so awake. You're going to be drinking coffee the whole time. You're going to be fed. So that's exciting. Well, it's good that, that well, our, our social interaction type of reading time probably would be a little clumsy in here with all the tables. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. So right now, um, before we jump into worship, I'm just going to invite you to greet the table next to you. Um, would you just say hi to people? Would you remember names if you don't know the names? Would you learn the name? Hi,
Thank you. 
our time of tax and offerings. As a reminder, um, we have three ways to give. You can give in person, run a little box, come back on the counter. Thank you, David. Thank you for showing that off there. Um, but you can also give online, you can give text, um, send a message um, to 605-79 gifts, or you can scan the QR code there. Um, but we just encourage you to see giving at that conclusion. We respond to God who so generous and gracious to us. So I would just encourage you right now. Consider how it is that God is calling you to give. And feel free if you need to watch your phone. Find your way to the website, find your way to the game, and do that. Because we're also in prayer time right now. And who was here last week? Two minutes, people here last week. So who are you? These prayer cards, okay? A bunch of you. We're going to do this again where we make these prayer cards. We actually started doing this in August um, where we just wanted to continue to work to be a people who are committed in prayer, um, work to be a people who share our requests with one another. And we do recognize that when we do our open mic sharing time um, in church, a lot of the times it can be awkward to share. Um, and some of us are going to be a little held back by sharing our requests um, in front of everyone. Some of them, maybe just because we feel like they're not. I know I hear all the time, like, don't do it because that makes me feel like just the other person to share. Or sometimes I just feel like it's too big of a deal, like, I want to say publicly. It's like, I know that there are just a list of reasons that hold back from actually sharing that. And so these have been a really good resource now for us to be able to share the things that we might not otherwise share with one another. Um, and so if you did it, not fill one of these out last week, then you have another chance this week. If you did already fill out one, but something else has come up, there's also something that you would like prayer for, that would encourage you um, to write a request on there as well. And in a few weeks, we're going to be distributing these. We're going to be distributing these prayer cards, and each one of you is going to get one, and then commit to praying for one another for an entire month. So you're going to get a request um, from so-and-so about this, and you're going to commit every day for a month to pray for that person. Or maybe if you're like me, like the month ended when we did it in August, I still have a request. I still have bread for that person for the request that I've received. And so with that, you're free to write anonymously um, if it's something that you just don't feel comfortable sharing, but you just want someone to go to God on your behalf. Then feel free to do it anonymously. Or feel free to write your name on it so that they know who they're praying for by name. So that they can also check in on you, so that they can maybe receive an update on this situation. But would you uh, just enter into that time and to ask for requests there? When you are done with it, again, feel free to write this down at any point, and you can drop it in the operating box there. You can just drop it in there, and then in a few weeks, we're going to distribute those prayer requests. And so, as those baskets make their way around, if you have a little now or something else that's come up, um, please don't hesitate to share that with Bob as we continue to be people who hold one another up in prayer and go to God, to His throne on behalf of our friends and family here. Um, so as those are going around, I also want us to do prayer time. I'm like, we always do it. Um, even though this week is a little different week with half the church down in Kampalawasa on retreat, we thought, you know what, well, we still, I don't ever want to cancel church. I don't ever want to not have it. I think even if we do it maybe a little more casual or in a different setting, I think it's still so important for us to gather together, to praise God's name. To give our past conference, to pray for one another, to be able to share what's going on, and to just come before God's word. And so, even though it's a little different time here, I think we can still continue to do that. And so, we're going to do prayer time the way that we always do it, but I don't think we need a microphone. 
Right? We don't need to pass the microphone. You guys can shout. You can hear one another. And so I'm just going to open the floor. Um, if there's something that you would like us to pray for, um, if there's something that you're praising God for, God did something this last week, and it would be an encouraging thing to share with us, then please, right now during this time, please share that. So I'm going to open the floor to you, and I see Kathleen with a hand up first. But if not, that's totally fine. If not, you can write down. You have to? Okay. Well, is that caption? What is? Huh? Is that caption? If I have to do something? Maybe. When I was halfway from the cafeteria, a kid with one of these little things like this, one of those things that opens up, you know, goes into the It looks like a little well, it opened up and looked at me and it said, you're going to bury yourself. And it's been with me ever since. So, of course, now my folks will be Now my pulse is bearing me. So, I am uh, struggling with that. I just need prayers on me. It was good, but... Uh, God, God is amazing. God is uh, he's a lot. Uh, it's it's like a you know safety. Well, I'm going to be behind me. Stay behind me. Get behind me, Satan. And Captain, can I? That's Andrew over here right now. Can I remind you that that you are safe and that. Jesus' power and authority is on your life. That spirit is on you like a seal. And you have nothing to fear. But anyone else, any spiritual forces, they are like ants. It's just a case of being complaint. Those... I don't know what you did. Right. But I just want to remind you, that can be a mean word, but it has no spiritual repercussions on you at all. So I want you to hear that. But thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. But we can easily declare that in the name of Jesus that we don't even have to worry about that. So those words might hurt us, which can stay with us emotionally, but when it comes to any spiritual power, we have them in the future. Related with her, so just pray for her. Um, and then a praise 
I think two weeks, two weeks ago now. Um, one of my really, really good friends got engaged to a great girl. Um, so it's very for vanity. Yeah. It's very their marriage and everything. That's good. That's always encouraging. I had some of my friends. That's where they're going to end up with. That's always good. And that is a great first attempt to Dakota. 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 Okay, I I think last week's sermon the answer to my prayer anyway because when my husband and I moved from Florida. 30 something years ago, we left everything behind. We changed our life and our family and So it was just, I've been in Terry, my baby, and little daughter, maybe moving to But for her, it may be a change in our life. scripture that we see over and over again is that God often, you know, requires us to go to grow, you know, he requires us to slow these uh, strong things. And the the so, problem with that happens is sometimes you gotta get out your old your old playgrounds. Stop playing with the same practice. We'll pray that over your daughter we sing. Is it final that she is moving or is it still up in the air? In their mind. Okay. Yeah. Well, so it's just now with the hurricane, yeah. and she lost that place that she wanted to do damage. So, yeah. you pray they have a word of information. She has a word of And if not, just pray. It's uh, um, um, I just wanted to ask with her parents uh, about a year and a half ago to be down to Colorado, um, be closer to family and set stuff up and try to get a house built. Um, and uh, the house is pretty much ready uh, to be moved in finally. Um, but about a week ago, they kind of started having some doubts about smart to actually buy the house. They were looking at applying for rental houses instead. Uh, they're just worried about the financial repercussions of buying a house and the market is so crazy right now. Um, they thought that they had decided to go for the rental place instead, but just uh, last night they decided they're going to go ahead and buy a house. So I think they'll close on that this week. So I just know they're worried about financial with that. And they could really lose some peace. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that when we have those decisions before us, uh, which is the right thing. So we're just going to pray. 
piece through correction, they'd be able to trust they can provide and take care of them. Dead did I see him in his own? I'm not some person with stepmom who was diagnosed with Parkinson's. She's her health was declining quickly. She's a huge believer, so I'm not worried about her too much. I just worry about my dad and his strength to continue on once something does happen to her. So. Yeah. Thank yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing. Praying for your dad. Praying that she continues to be in strength right now. She's there. Be then that the God would give him strength. He doesn't have her. Thanks for sharing that. Character we shared her request that I think we do have as well. Danny? About that? Okay. Because one request that I know these guys have, that I have as well, is that a little while back, it's a long story, but I'll have Karen kind of share that part of her testimony with everyone at some point. But a little while back, she said some um, calling her to take a step to try to bring a family homeless shelter in Rapid City. Currently, there are men's shelters, women's shelters, but if there is a married couple with kids, um, currently they have to be separated. There can be no men in any women's shelter. So families are separated if they are homeless or if they are passing from place to place. And so her family kind of has a history of really having their lives changed by a family homeless shelter and by this organization called Family Promise. And so being obedient to the call of God, she reached out to Family Promise and started the process of bringing a family homeless shelter to Rapid City. So for the last few weeks, it's been a lot of meetings, it's been a lot of um, kind of brainstorming and discussions with people who have the means to support something like that um, and trying to see if there are open doors um, for that to take place in this community. And so far, there have been surprising amount of open doors um, moving in the direction. So it's still very early, um, and still there would be a ton of fundraising that would need to happen in the meantime. Um, but we could be praying for Ted and Garrett, for Family Promise, for the potential um, for a new shelter in this community that would help to be able to keep families together. And they have a very good track record as we saw Family Promise came and kind of did their sales pitch spiel is that they have a very good track record of getting people into permanent housing out of the shelter. Um, and so I was really impressed by some of their numbers there. They're in like 42 different states. Um, but of course, what's that? 43. 43, okay, maybe And now that's South Dakota, because this would be the first one off South Dakota. Um, and so, yeah, we're just trying to seek God's direction and seek God's provision uh, for that. So that would be a big change, but it would require a lot. We think that God could really use that in amazing ways. But it's still in the early stages. So would you guys be praying right away that God would be opening doors, that he would be bringing people with the ability and passion um, to support something like this. Um, because we just see just kind of the chaos in our community. We know that so many families are really struggling with that situation. Um, so many different things are working families are. Um, and we want to do all we can to see God being able to work and change these situations. So thanks for letting me share that care Ahead, but that's something I've been praying about. Good, thank you. <laughs> Any other secondary requests? Is anyone crazy enough? That's too many colors. Two ball colors. Yeah, all colors. You got your ball color, start pumping. It's pretty good. 
for that in this time. Um, God, we also pray for Ted Sitlin. Um, as she has Parkinson's and her health is declining, we thank you for the strong faith that she has, just for the influence that it's been on his dad. And so we just ask that your spirit would be continuing to work in that family, in their relationship. We ask that you would give them time together in which your spirit is working, that you would encourage Ted Sad, that you would encourage his stepmom, and would you just be with that family? Would you be with Ted? God, we pray for the experience um, for the direction um, that they're looking for in this time. Uh, so many decisions are right before them. Um, so many scary financial decisions. God, would you just give them peace that regardless of the decision that they make, that you're with them, that you're with them every step of the way. We just thank you for calling them in a direction. So I just ask that you would just give them peace um, during those sleepless nights on um, their minds are racing over and over on the same decision. God, I just pray that you would give peace that's fast to understand. Yeah. I just thank you for Luke. And I just ask that you would make him a person of peace in that family, that he'd be able to break through the noise and just a sense of calm and joy. And God, we pray for Cookie, her daughter. As Cookie has seen in the past, you work through dislocation and through moving, how you use these things to separate us from those things that are pulling us away from you. I just pray that you would do that for her daughter. She shared, she's been praying for a long time for her daughter. So we just ask that you would move closer to her. Would you be speaking to her of the, the changes that need to be made? Of the direction that you're calling to. God, we just ask that you work in her life. Oh my God, we just praise you for this new relationship of, of Logan's friend, Dakota, and his new fiance. We just thank you for the friend that Logan is. He's um, this gracious and relationship focused. Um, I just thank you for the testament that he is to all his friends. Um, so we pray just for their family as Andrew has been dealing with these some issues. Um, potentially stress cause, whatever it is, God, we just declare that you are in a great position. And so I just declare your healing over Andrea. I just ask that your spirit would work in her body to remove this. Um, God, even though we don't know the cause, um, we would just pray to you if we put on this. And so we just ask for healing for her. We ask for energy as she is working and raising Liara. God, would you empower her energy the good health that she needs during this time. We just ask that you continue to bring family and friends around her um, for able to help during this. But we ask for you for herself. And God, we praise you um, that Carrie now has two new hips. He's a new man um, walking around and with much less pain in the past. But God, now we just pray that you would be close to him as he mourns lost his father. As any time. One of your children passes away, God, we know that he is now with you in paradise, in perfection. So we praise you and we celebrate that. But yet, we are still here without him. So there is there is loss. Carrie and his family will be missing him. So would you just be close to them during this time? Would you encourage them and comfort them with just a rush of positive memories of their dad and of their husband? For his mom. God, would you just continue to remind them of all the work that you've done in this life, that they would truly see you in this, that they would be filled with hope knowing that he is now with his sons, that he is now with family members that he has not seen in a long time. 
And they are filled with hope that one day they will be together again, just because of the salvation of And Jesus, we just recognize that, that ye, all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. And so we thank you that we have nothing to fear. That if you are for us, you can be against us. So I just pray that your Holy Spirit would remind Kathleen that she is released from anything the enemy would want to speak over her. Um, that all of those words are just empty sounds. Um, acclaiming God, but that your authority is over her life, your protection is over all of us. And so we thank you for being a God who not only saves us and we look forward to an eternity in heaven, but you are protecting us and saving us from things every single day that we have no idea about. So we just ask that you would remind each and every one of us of that reality. That because you are for us, God, who can be with you? So God, now as we turn to your word, we just ask that you would speak. Would you give us hearts that are open to hearing from you? Um, would you tune our ears to the things that you are speaking to us? And God, would you please uh, use my mouth, use my voice in some way um, to speak your truth, overcome grandeur. God, we just thank you for your word, for your direction. We commit to being the people um, who will follow you in faith. And so Jesus, we just give you our attention, give you our lives in this to do as you will. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name. Yeah. I was going to say, if I change my mind in the last <laughs> second, um, this Friday is these two for something that anniversary. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Jumping down with my brother and my, myself, and their two little energetic granddaughters, and now I'm going to my grandma and my aunt Sandy. So the perfect team. They are the perfect team. They are an inspiration. Mm-hmm. How many years did you say last? Uh, Forty. Forty-four. Forty-four years. Um, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that, Christina. Well, praise God. We're really happy for you guys. Happy that we can celebrate that just for all that you guys have been doing. Well, we're going to transition now and continue on in our teaching series where we have been going through a series on growing in faith. So we are working our way through the life of Abraham. There he is. Um, and as we talked about last week, we began this series last week. We looked at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, which we'll be calling it Abram. Or as he was named at that point, Abram. And I told you, I'm going to mix up whether they're calling Abram or Abraham a lot. Because his name's not going to be changed until chapter 16. We have a lot of words, Abraham, but I'm going to keep calling him that. Um, but we know that the moment we talked about last week was one of the biggest moments in the entire Bible when God called Abram to be hit into this covenant, to be his guy from which he was going to bless the entire world. And we know that that set the stage for the rest of the story of the Bible. And it's actually one of the most important like, literary moments in the entire world. Because it was from that moment, the calling of Abraham, that Abraham would go on to be the father of what are now called the Abrahamic religions, which Christianity, Judaism, and Islam now comprise over 50% of the entire world, um, and about over 60% of the religious world. And so this is a huge moment in history in which God called Abraham. He set him apart, and he said that through you I'm going to establish my work. So we know that through Abraham, through his family, eventually we become Jesus. Eventually we become salvation for the entire world. 
And he gave Abraham this promise. He said, you know, I want you to leave your father's house, your country, your kindred, and I want you to go to this land that I'll show you, and I'm going to bless you there, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And God gave Abram this massive promise, and on the strength of that promise, Abram obeyed. We ended there with Abram. Eventually, we know the little text where that took no out to obey, but he obeyed. He accepted that promise that God gave him, and in faith, he began moving. And we're looking at Abraham's life because as we see throughout the life, we see great opportunities for us to grow and what it looks like for us to grow in faith. And last week, we just kind of outlined some of the different lessons, some of the different messages that God's going to speak to us on how to grow in faith or what growing faith looks like through Abraham's story. These are going to be repeated things that we'll see over and over again. And it starts with the fact that growth often requires dislocation, that God calls us from one place to another. He calls us often from sin into holiness to repent and often to leave. And even growth and growing in faith requires leading good things behind, significant things. Abraham might have left a lot of bad um, pagan religions and a lot of sin patterns, but he also left a lot of things that were not necessarily bad. But sometimes God pulls us away from the comfort, from other things, in order for us to be more dependent on him and in order for us to grow in faith. And as we're going to see, especially today, is that growing in faith really requires trust. Really requires trust in God. It's because, especially, it can be painful, but then through the greatness. And I think one thing that we have to remember is that God wants to see us grow. And so this is what we talked about last week. A bit of an outline of what we will see all throughout Abram's life. But one of the things that we're going to look at today as we now move in to this next story, right after Abram is called, is that God is essentially going to put Abram to a test. He's going to test his faith here. And testing is actually one of the best ways for us to grow in faith. And what we're going to see today is actually when we face tests of faith, we actually grow whether or not we pass or fail these tests. And as we're going to see in the story of Abram today, he definitely fails, uh, but nonetheless, he still uses this to grow his faith. And it's actually in these moments where we have these choices between trusting God, we love him, trusting in other things, loving those things, that our faith often grows the most. And I know that we probably don't like the idea of tests very much, we're actually just talking about this in our men's Bible study on Tuesday, this exact topic. Um, and many of us, we think of the idea of testing as a rule just because we, you know, went through school and had a lot of bad experiences through it. Logan doesn't mind tests. Well, frankly, I never minded tests. I would usually do better on tests than I would on like regular assignments. And so I would love it. Give me as many tests as you can. Somehow the answer just can. But if I got called on in the middle of death in class, I don't know. And so, I love them. They're great. Um, but many of us don't like them. Or when it comes to relationships, we often don't like tests because when people test relationships, they usually don't have very good motives. Right? It's usually to trap us to say, ah, gotcha, or something like that. But we can trust that if God is testing us, that it's, it's for our good, that his motives are pure. And he's using them to help us to grow. And that's what we're going to see here, is that God is actually putting Abraham in position to be tested here in order to grow his faith, to grow his trust. 
And so since we are gathered around tables this time, I'm going to give you a minute here as we just consider this whole idea um, to discuss with one another. So we can just turn and discuss with one another a little bit. What has being tested in your faith looked like in your life? Do you feel like you have ever had a situation or scenario in your life in which God tested your faith? When you were tempted to turn to something other than God, or in which the situation just caused you to doubt and question and success on your faith. So I'm going to give you just a few minutes um, to discuss with one another. How has your faith ever been? How has your faith ever been? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Christine and I worked the other day, went into Walmart, and she's got like a perfect lineup of salads and the whole produce section. It's all looking perfect. And of course, you just see something come. Just Trust that God will get you through it. I mean, that's. Love you. So early on, I was severely bullied. Um, and forced to be by myself with no friends, no one to talk to. And my parents who were both in college at the time, and just and then moving into Hot Springs through middle school was kind of the same, particularly the no friends part, which for me is I don't do that. 
that was there was a lot there and a lot of interaction, a lot of a lot of issues involved in that. So thanks for sharing that. It's fantastic. Things are not going well. It seems to be it's it's a big test on your faith. And I know that even if we haven't been quick to share these things, that each and every one of us has probably had faith test in some way or another. Um, and it's good to hear, I mean, honestly, some of you, I would just say, you seem to be doing very well at these tests. But the reality is that oftentimes we don't always do that well when our faith is tested. When we have these choices between trusting God and trusting in other things. And one of my favorite things about the Bible is that the very, Bible is very honest about people. It's very honest about people of faith, about Christians, about the characters, and how when they face tests, they don't always do very well. And I know that it's real fun, you know, for the world or even for us to just continually refer to Christians as hypocrites, point out the fact that Christians, you know, believe things, but then when faced with the test, when faced with the decision, often things, oftentimes Christians will choose the opposite of what they believe. And so it's real fun and easy to say, you know, Christians are hypocrites, they don't always do what they want to do. But many of us recognize that it's not always as simple as just doing what we want to do or doing what we believe. That one of the foundational truths that the Bible shows us over and over again is that even if we believe it, and even if we know it, it's not always as easy to do that. And so I always just say, well, yeah, like the church might be filled with it, except that might be true. You know? And I think we can just move on and recognize that's kind of like Christianity 101, that we are in desperate need of God's help. So the church is often full of hypocrites, and hospitals are often full of sick people, and restaurants are often full of hungry people, and schools are often full of people that need to live, right? And so here we are, coming before God, and recognizing that one of the truest things about us is that we are making God's image, but we're also fallen, and we're in desperate need for his help. And that even though we have these beliefs, even though we know what it is that God's wants to, it is not always as easy to live that out, or to make the right choice every single time. That oftentimes, going to face would be some decisions. We'll choose, you know, our desires, our convictions, our emotions over what we actually believe, over what God's wants to. And in this story that we're going to read in Genesis 12, essentially Abraham does that. And it's very surprising, frankly, because Abraham is an important person in the story. He's an important person in the entire world. Um, Christians call Abraham the father of faith because this is the picture of what it looks like to trust God. That's a big deal. He's like the man. Um, Jews call him the father of the nation because it's from him that they trace their lineage and they trace a lot they practice in their life from him. Um, Muslims refer to Abraham as the best friend of God. So this is an important guy. He's like the pinnacle of what it looks like to trust God and Paul. And we're going to see him and basically the best of the best failing to trust God. And so find your way to Genesis chapter 12. Um, we're going to begin in verse 6. We're going to work our way slowly through the end of this chapter. Um, but just to catch you up, we talked a bit about how we started this chapter, where God calls Abram to leave his family, his homeland, and to follow him to this new land. And God didn't tell him where that land was, what the destination was, he just gave him a direction. He said, I will show you this land. I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to protect you. And so, so Abraham, he left Ur of the Chaldees, which was this beautiful, wealthy city in Iraq. And he's following up with this promise that God is going to bless him. And he's going to curse those who curse him. That he's going to protect him. We made up in verse 6. Where Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sharon. 
and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued forward in the gap. So pause there for a minute, because here we have Abram having another beautiful encounter with God. Right? God is making this promise to him, and Abram just responds in worship. God says, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And so Abram makes this altar, and he worships God. And it's kind of interesting because he makes this altar, it tells us, between Bethel and between Ai. Now, does anyone know what the name Bethel means? Does anyone know? No. What is it? House of God? Nailed it. David knows. House of God. We've got a lot of smaller in here. That's good. So, Bet, any house, and L is an Elohim, any God. Um, so, Bethel is the house of God. Does anyone know what Ai means? This one might be a little tricky. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> it does not. I guess. Or give you a hint. It's the opposite of House of God. A means either pile of rubble or heap of ruin. And so here, this is where Abram finds himself between the house of God, the dwelling place of God, the presence of God, and a heap of ruin, a pile of rubble. And this might be for ourselves. This is often the place of testing. This is setting up the situation for where we will often find ourselves. In one sense, there's a house of God on one side, and we live in this tension, but there's also, to go the other direction, something by a heap of ruin, a pile of rubble. And right now in the story, Abram is in a good place. He built an altar and it's worshiping God. It's beautiful, great. Abram's a man. We can read the story again. And Abram is between Pilate of Ruin and the house of God, and he's just worshiping God. That's what we should do whenever we're cold in one way or another, whenever we face the test of it. But it doesn't last very long. It doesn't last very long. Pick it up in verse 10. So that's where it is. Okay. Abram's a man. He worships God in one moment. And then in the very next moment, we'll see here in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down in Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. So now this is the test for Abram. Um, God promised him he was going to lead him to this land, he was going to take care of him, he was going to bless him, that Abram moving to the place is a good thing. Now there's a famine. So his faith is tested. God said, I will bless you, I will take care of you. And here, he's saying, Abram, will you trust me? Will you trust my promise? And Abram, in this case, fails the test. He fails to trust that God will provide for him, that God will protect him. And he leaves because of this man. Essentially, he was afraid, and he left. And where did he go? Feel free to shout Egypt. Egypt. He went down to Egypt. Now, if you're a Bible scholar like David Carter, then you probably know that this phrase, down to Egypt, is something that should always kind of like ring bells when you're reading the Bible. That down to Egypt is usually a synonym for making a wrong choice, for doing what God does not want you to do. 
Um, this is oftentimes where God's people go and they don't trust him and they go down to Egypt looking for help. And if you know the story of Israel and Egypt, it never works out. They go down to Egypt, typically they just get captured and enslaved. If not, it works. Um, and so down to Egypt is always something that God does not want his people to do. He said, you're going to live here in land again. Abraham says, oh, there's something here. I'm leaving. And he goes down to Egypt. Throughout the Old Testament, God tells his people over and over again, do not go down to Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. This is part of the law that the Israelites are supposed to live by. And he says this. He says, the land that you are entering, so king, Israel there, that you are entering to take over, it's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as an vegetable garden. Does that mean you grow your gourds to But the land that you are crossing the Jordan to take possession the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drink rain from heaven, and the land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on from the beginning of the year to its end. And so God included this in the law to tell them, you don't need to leave. You can trust me. There is nothing that Egypt has that you need. And this was part of the law that they were supposed to do in Egypt and show a lack of trust in God that they would be provided for there. Later on, in Isaiah, so that's early in Deuteronomy. Um, if you know much of the story, they do not need to pull off. So eventually, down in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 31, God has to remind the people of their bad choices, choosing Egypt instead of trusting him. And in Isaiah chapter 31, he says this. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not seek to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against that wicked nation, against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are mere mortals and are not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble. Those who are helped will fall. And all will perish together. So here God is calling out the Israelites for seeking Egypt's help. He's saying, by doing that, if you're going to go down and you're going to participate in the Egyptian economy, I want to do that. Well, one, he says that you are helping evildoers, you're funding slavery, as we know that they were doing in Egypt. But he's also saying that this is a lack of trust in people. That you are trusting more in horses, in wealth, trusting more in this nation than you are in me. He warns them that Egypt won't actually give them any help at all. It's actually only going to lead to destruction. And so right away in the story, Abraham's made a mistake. He's going down to Egypt to trust in their wealth and what they can do for him instead of God. He's going down there. There's a fear that God's promise will actually take place. And I think this should cause us to pause and to consider a remnant when they assess it as well. When those situations that feel out of our control come up in our lives, where do we have to turn? Trying to grasp control? Do we turn to other things to cope when peace doesn't seem to be there? In what ways do we essentially go down to not just in the Lord? And God means for me, I mean, I, I will turn to just my own strength. I'll think, well, if God's not going to do it, I, I will figure it out. I'll take care of myself. And I 
And really, this is probably something that Abraham struggled with as well, because I think in my journey to myself, to try to do things myself, it really is kind of a strength of mine that I feel like I can do a lot on my own. Um, I can get a lot of things done. I can be fairly self-sufficient. I can be fairly productive. And it really is a strength of mine to provide for myself and to do things on my own. But oftentimes it's actually through our strengths that the enemy works on us. That if um, it was Ken Thandy who wrote the Peacemaker Relationalism 360, um, if you're familiar with that, he says that your greatest weakness is usually just right behind your greatest strength. And so if you are very self-sufficient, well, self-sufficiency will often be your greatest weakness. And for Abraham, who's the father of faith, his greatest strength is faith. What is his weakness right It's a lack of faith. It's no faith. But at the same time, this might be a strength, but it might also be used as his greatest weakness here. So, turns to Egypt for help. Hang on, because it gets worse. Uh, verse 11, we'll continue reading here. Head of Egypt, devil and breath of God will provide for him there. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now you gotta think, this is like a nice woman for Sarah, right? They've been traveling for a long time. And he just stops and he says, baby, you're beautiful. <laughs> That's really nice. Um, and he says, not only do I think you're beautiful, but when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is wife. You know, right? I'm, I'm putting a little bit of an emphasis on there. Um, because my wife got Abraham is saying here. And at this point, Sarah was actually 65 years old. Um, you know, and he's still saying, like, not only do I think you're beautiful, but others are going to think you're beautiful as well. And as we continue in the story, there's actually, there must be something about Sarah, because even later on, when she's in her babies, they go into places, and everybody in the world just thinks she's beautiful. So there must be something about her. Um, and so Abraham is saying, okay, they are going to see that you're beautiful as well, and they're going to say, this is your wife. Sarah's just going to be melting this time, right? Mm. So then they will say, this is your wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So now he's afraid that they're going to kill him and take her. So he comes up with a plan. Here. He has this fear, there's this tension, there's this test. Is he going to trust God? No. He comes up with a plan for himself. And he says in verse 13, here's an idea. Just say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So again, in this narrative, they are traveling a long distance. They're supposed to trust God with their head. They didn't. So they leave, go to Egypt. Now he's in Egypt and he realizes, oh no, I have a pretty wild. This is going <laughs> And so here he comes up with this terrible plan. And I have to say, though, this is an absolutely short sighted plan. Um, I mean, yeah, he's, he might be treated well by the Egyptians because of her, but I can't imagine now he's going to be treated well by her. Um, one, because he is not being treated well by him in this case. Uh, and sorry for the spoiler, but this is not going to go well for the And this is the plan. Tell, we're just going to tell the Egyptians you're my sister. So in verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. 
all jokes aside, Abraham truly did something terrible here. He cared more about protecting his life than protecting his wife Sarah here. And I think we have to just consider like how does how does God's God make such a terrible mistake? How does he think just because of the fear of what the Egyptians might do that this would be a better option? Knowing full well that what he's actually doing here is essentially selling his wife to slavery. She's most likely going to just be added to one of Pharaoh's many wives or to become a concubine in his hair here. And that might allow Abraham to get off the hook. But honestly, like, what was his exit plan? Anyway, if he's going to live in Egypt now and go visit his sister every once in a while, and what about the promise of God that they are going to have a family, they're going to have descendants that are going to be a mighty nation? How is that going to happen? He's just sold his life. Very short-sighted plan. But I think, besides all that, we could wonder how does someone even get to this point of making such a bad decision, such a bad choice? I mean, Abraham, he was just worshiping God between Pilate and Rubble and dwelling place God. And then in the very next story, just boom, boom, here he's making this terrible choice. How can Abraham do something so obviously wrong? I think many of us know this is the reality of faith that many of us experience as well. At one moment, we've what we're doing pretty well. We're sticking to our conditions. And then the next moment, we're shocked. Choices that are and behavior of others. It's like you seem to be God's God. You seem to be a person of faith and trust in him. And then you go and you do something just like this. And really, it's a simple answer to how this happens. And it's that over and over again, we choose our desires over our convictions. We choose what we want at the moment over following God. It's the reality that even though we have a new nature, we still have our old sinful nature. And so it's a simple answer how do we get to this point? And it could probably be a really short sermon if we just said, like, you know, choose your convictions over your desires every single time. It could be a really short sermon if we just gave those easy answers, but it won't be. Um, because we can't just do the opposite there. Because every time we're in one of these tests, every time that we have a choice between trusting God and loving God, or trusting in something else, trying to do something else, choosing our feelings instead, there is this intense tension that happens. And it's this tension between our conviction and our desire, our faith versus our feelings. And over and over in our lives, we will face these situations, we will face these tests. And oftentimes, we will fail. We will not make the right choice. I think one of the things that we're going to see in the story is that God is calling us to trust Him, even in those moments. Especially because, believe it or not, this is a very terrible thing Abram did, but it's not the only time He's going to do this. He, yeah, some of you go, but so later on in chapter 20, find your way to Genesis 20. Um, in Genesis chapter 20, I'm sorry to say the exact same thing is going to happen. Um, two different occasions, there was the tension, there was Abraham's fear, there was a situation that was scary, there was what he truly believed, that God is going to bless us as a family, that it's my job to protect my wife, that we are going to have kids one day, that God will protect us, he's going to curse those who curse us, bless those who bless us. And then in Genesis chapter 20, he's moving into a middle life land, and he does the exact same thing. He 
said, it's just tell the bill about the game if you're my sister, so we don't worry about this. And so he lied again. And what actually happens is God appears to Abimelech, the king, in a dream and says, you are as good as dead because the woman that you have taken, she is a married woman. So God appears to Abimelech and says, you're dead. You thought you took the chance to She goes, wow, it's fascinating that God would speak to him in that way. And so right after God appears to Abimelech and tells him this, Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Here Abimelech, who is not a godfather at this point, is saying, like, What on earth? Why you do something like this? Nobody's supposed to do this. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? What were you thinking? I think that's a really interesting question that he asks Abraham. What was your reason for doing this? What was your reason for thinking this was a good idea? Or even for choosing this terrible sin over literally doing anything else? And Abraham replied, verse 11, he said, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. So here he's trying to justify, and that's like a whole other gross thing on top of it. But either way, he's trying to, you know, make it seem okay. But what's the old thing? Like half truth is a whole lie. So, like, well, it's kind of true. Doesn't matter. So he's saying, like, oh, she's my half sister. But she's also wow, forgot to leave that part. He said, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. And everywhere we go, say of me, this is my And so again, in that moment, that Abram chose to protect his own life and then to protect his own life. Um, and he definitely had other options. That's what I've been like with saying. Why on earth did you think this was a good idea? How can you do something so terrible to me and to everyone? Like there could have been a million things he could have done. To prevent the situation. If he's really afraid that they're going to take her because she's too beautiful, I mean, why not get like a big coat and do the whole little rascal thing, right? Go hire so they'll never know, you know? Or just have Sarah stop taking showers, get that VO going. That might keep the guys away. Um, I don't know, just start like, start like having a really annoying laugh or something like that. You know, like there are plenty of ways to like downgrade beauty or to avoid it here. Um, but, he didn't do any other options. In the face of the options, how about you just pray? Uh, just ask God. In the face of all those options, he didn't. Took things into his own hands. Frankly, he just chose sin. Not even over God's ideas, but just over any good ideas. And every time we face a situation like this, a test, a choice, we're always faced with this choice. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust sin? Are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to trust lack of faith? And we can spend a long time just looking at like the consequences of sin here, because really what you see is Abraham and Abram choosing sin and a lot of bad things happen. A lot of bad things happen. And later on we'll go in depth into this when we get to chapter 20, because we'll look at that story on itself. 
But there are eternal consequences. And when we choose sin over faith, one, other people suffer. Obviously, Sarah was sold into slavery. Um, that's not good. Um, essentially, given to a king to be used as he desires. Now, the Bible actually makes it clear that God protected her that whole time. That Pharaoh didn't touch her, that Abimelech didn't touch her. That God protected Sarah from Abraham's sin and from any repercussions. But still, still, Abraham, Sarah suffered because of Abraham's sin. But not only that, but these other kings were actually brought in and suffered as well. Pharaoh was plagued. Um, it doesn't say how he was plagued or how his house was plagued, but I imagine it wasn't fun. This is going to be a precursor for other plagues that come to Pharaoh coming in. And then Bimelech. God appeared to him in a dream and threatened his life. And so Abram's sin caused the suffering of Sarah, Bimelech, Pharaoh. All these people should have been and I think we have to realize, I won't go into all of these, but just in that first one, that the consequences of us not trusting in God, that our lack of faith actually affects other people are affected when we don't trust in God. When we choose our own way, when we choose to try to make things happen, when we choose sin instead of God, other people do suffer. Especially because Abraham was meant to be a conduit of grace. He was supposed to be used by God to bless others. And here he is bringing the name of curses. Bringing curses to Egypt, bringing curses to Abimelech. So sin, failure, has a lot of consequences that we'll get into later. But there's one other consequence that I think is really huge that we have to see. And that is that in the face of our failure, in the face of our sin, one of the consequences is also that we just get to turn to and trust in the God who is gracious who will help us to grow in our love and trust. That one of the consequences of sin, if we then turn to God, so we get to grow in love and trust. All these other terrible things happen, but it's actually in these tests, even when we fail these tests, that God can grow our faith, that God can use those situations. And so in the same way that we see these bad things play out, in the same way as we see Abraham's choice just having these bad results, we do see in here that it's these ups and these downs that God still uses to grow our faith. Even though Abram didn't make the right choice, I think we all have to recognize that this story is not really about Abram being a good guy anyway. Um, and as we're going to go through his entire life, what we focus on when it comes to growing in faith isn't even Abram, but it's actually in God. Like growing in faith is not actually about how good we do, how well we pass tests. It's actually about how God acts, how God behaves, how God responds to our tests as well. And I think we all know this internally that Christianity is not about being good so that God will love you, and that growing in faith is not about doing all right things. And it's definitely abundantly clear in this case that Abram is the pinnacle of what it looks like to trust God. But it's not just about making certain choices. But it's actually interesting because it's in the face of Abram making this terrible mistake in Genesis 22 of Abimelech that in Genesis 20 verse 7, in 7, God actually tells Abimelech that the reason that Abimelech should be so afraid in this point is because Abram is a prophet. God is essentially saying, Abram is, I'm going to 
person to person, I'm going to be less to less. I think I just have to bottom letter up. Shouldn't Abram's position to probably be removed? These things. Like, shouldn't God find someone else here? Like, how can God say after Abraham has given his wife away twice that he's a prophet? That he's going to work with him, that he's going to stay him. This God is gracious. Because the story has actually never been about how good Abraham was. It's actually always been about how good God is. And now God is faithful over and over and over. No matter how many tests we fail, God is telling us to, to see his goodness in the face of that. Right? That the very beginning of Abraham's story began with him being called by God for no particular reason. He was just kind of a random Babylonian guy. And God chose him. God gave him. And he trusts him, and he has a lot of good ups. And then the very next story, gives his wife over the trip. And I think this is included in, in these stories just come so quickly with no space in between, um, because the Bible is really highlighting that if you're trying to make Abraham a hero, another, another side that you should probably see. You know, because there was probably a lot that happened between him traveling from the Negev and Egypt. They could have said, like, oh, you know, they're walking on this way. Abraham made this funny joke. It's the logical guy. But instead, they go right from him worshiping to getting his wife away. Because the point is not to see Abraham. He's obviously not a hero. And the point is to see God. To see Abraham used by God in this scenario. That God, the good, gracious, forgiving God, regardless of our performance in these tests of faith is good to us. Forgiving to us. And so in this story, um, Abraham is a tool, figuratively and literally. Um, he's a tool that God is using to bring about his claim. Is he not? He is a tool to show, hey, he is going to make these mistakes, but still, I'm going to show my goodness to him. Still this guy who made a zero mistake, I'm going to say he's a prophet. He's the one that I'm going to use eventually to bring back Jesus. And the reality is that the same way that God would use and bless Abraham, in spite of all of his mistakes, in spite of his terrible sin, God wants to use, bless us, use us as a individual, as a conduit to Christ's grace to this world. And he wants us to grow in love and trust in him, even if we fail. Even if we succeed and are doing pretty well. And I know I hear it all the time from a lot of people who, you know, if you don't see at church in a while, or if you don't see really engaging with God very often, and you ask, oh, what's going on? A lot of the times it's because there's been sin, there's been something happened, and they just think, that's what he did. I just don't want to be there. I just don't want to be around him. He has to... There's guilt and shame. And we want to keep ourselves from God. And when we see in the story of Abram, is that that is not a separation of God's clothing between us. But that is something that we put between ourselves. That even in the face of terror sin, even when we choose our desires over our convictions, it's really not even about us. And I think we are called when it comes to growing in faith, when we see the nastiness of our own sin, growing in faith is then seeing not just ourselves, but the goodness of God. And though we might have done these things, that we can return to him. We forgive him. And it's actually through that process of 
Two from that family and from wherever you are scattered. 
and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord of God. God says, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to your calling me father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. And the Lord has spoken. Yes, yes. Yeah. we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. And God concludes in this chapter by saying, My wayward children, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. So, come around, church. You continue to have an invitation from this gracious, loving Father. And when you see the ups and downs in your journey of faith, that's something an opportunity to see goodness forgiveness, the graciousness of Christ, and will you be a people who live out those words that we just declared, that we will, over and over, whether good or bad, return to God belongs to all our Father. So grace and peace, Tom Brown, thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week. You got the music. Yeah. 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 Yeah.